This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon store and D&D Classics affiliate link. Shop at these two great places and help the show by clicking through our links over at thetomeshow.com when you shop. Hi, I'm Eric Scott-DeVee, author and writer in the Forgotten Realms, and you're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 211, I'm hosting solo. But that's okay, because I have a collaborator who's going to give us some advice on collaborative campaign building. Everybody, welcome author and game designer, Eric scott Ah, uh, Thank you. Thank you for that virtual applause. I really appreciate Woo! it. Yay! Here I am to collaborate with you, Jeff. And let me apologize to everyone. I have a slight nasal issue going on, but I'm uh, my wits are active and I'm ready to uh, roll on this. Excellent. Excellent. Well, before we get too far, in case people don't recall who you are from your previous appearances on the show, uh, Eric Scott DeBee, who the heck are you? Well, I'm a really, really tall man, for, for one thing. Uh, but I am a author and game designer. I'm best known, I think, for my Shadowbane series in the Forgotten Realms campaign setting. And uh, I've done D&D design work. I did some Marvel RPG uh, heroic role-playing from Margaret Weiss recently. And uh, yeah, I just keep writing and keep designing stuff all the time. I'm doing superhero stuff and writing a comic book right now. That's not really gaming, but it's fun. Anyway, that's me. So tell tell us tell everybody about the the superhero and comic book stuff you're doing. Well, I have been writing about this uh, this character called Lady Vengeance. Yes, and um, I wrote a couple of um, prose pieces about her, and finally decided that hey, she should have a comic book. So I got together with an artist from uh, Bulgaria, actually, and. Um, we put together a sample, which I am hoping to pitch to uh, publishers and potentially just do a Kickstarter and self-publish. So we'll see how it goes. It's looking great, though. Um, yeah, maybe one day I'll be back on the Tome Show and we'll talk about it, Jeff. <laughs> Very good. Uh, any recent projects that you want to point people to, to to let them know about the awesome things you've been doing? Well, my fifth Shadowbane novel came out in September. Is it your and fifth? Actually, it's not my fifth Shadowbane novel. Holy it's just my uh, fifth Realms novel. Okay. It's your third Shadowbane novel. I, say, I, I, I didn't think I was that far behind. Oh, yeah. You're terribly far behind. <laughs> um, and I am – well, I don't uh, – I've had numerous short stories and things come out recently. Um, but mostly I'm writing a science fiction novel right now, which should be coming out later this year. And, uh, I'm in talks with an editor to publish a, uh, epic fantasy story from me, uh, not D and D related, but, uh, fantasy related. And that should also hopefully be uh, later this year or maybe early next year. So 
stuff is coming out for me soon. All right, and people should keep an eye out for that. And you've got a website where I'm sure you'll keep people updated. EricScottDeBee.com. Eric Scott, with, with a D-E on the D. Yes. Your name is very frustrating. I think I'm, on my script, I have it, I have your full name written three or four times, and every single time I, I switch the whether it's D-I or D-E. <laughs> E-R-I-K-S-C-O-T-T-D-E-B-I-E. All right. Difficult to spell names and, and overly tall. I don't know what to do with you. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what about uh, upcoming uh, game work that you've got going on? Things you've been working on that are coming out soon? Well, I well, it's uh, it's strange that you should mention that, Jeff. I uh, I wrote a forthcoming D and D encounters season, which should be coming out fairly soon. It's not the current season; it's the season after that, and. Uh, I don't know exactly how much they have um, published about it in public, but I wrote it, and it's based in Neverwinter. So going back to the city, it'll be awesome. And uh, I was one of the uh, creative uh, designers on the uh, Neverwinter campaign setting. So it's a special sort of thing for me. Yeah, I believe we talked to you about that when it came out, didn't we? Indeed we did, to remind your listeners. Although none of your uh, – there was the whole series of novels sort of around the Neverwinter setting, and none of them were yours. Isn't that right? Yes. It's kind of funny how that worked out. <laughs> the closest yeah. I got was uh, Luskin. Right. And then my characters went from there to Westgate. So mm-hmm. I think that when when you have Bob Salvatore writing a novel in Neverwinter, he kind of uh, he kind of pushes people to the side, and it takes a really talented – um, author like Aaron Evans to kind of intercede and tell a story apart from Bob's epic um, Neverwinter stuff going on. So fortunately, we do have those novels. Aaron's first uh, Brimstone Angels novel and uh, Bob's stuff. So yeah, and of course then there's The Sundering coming up fairly soon, which I am not actually a part of, but I think it's going to be really awesome, and yeah. you should check it out. We're looking forward to it. I, I think we're planning on doing a whole year of uh, book club episodes dealing with it. That sounds like a great plan. Because it's six books, one every two months. and we re- Six we, books, one every two months. And we discuss a new book every two months, so that works out just perfect. It's like they planned it with you in mind. I think, I think they did. And in the meantime, we get an opportunity to look at your new book, Eye of Justice, in our next book club starting in March. That sounds excellent. So everybody should read along with us. And then the, the month after that, you'll have to come back on and, and we'll interview you about it when we finish. Cool. I look forward to it. All right. Well, I think that's enough about you. People understand your, your bona fides, so to speak. And you decided that our topic today should be collaborative campaign building. So, so let's start off with um, when you – when you pitched the idea of collaborative camp- campaign building or when you you know came up with the idea of doing an episode on that, what did you have in mind? What is, in your mind, collaborative campaign building? See, it's funny because I think I just told you collaborative campaign building and you said yes. So <laughs> well, yes. totally here on the concept. This is how it goes. Ordinarily, uh, D&D kind of assumes that – a DM is going to sculpt the entire world and all the adventures and all the stories that are going on in the course of your campaign. And the players, their only real contribution to the campaign is to create characters. 
Specifically, each one of them creates one character. And some DMs ask people to do some backstory, write up a couple pages about your character. Some people write, you know, a couple paragraphs, a couple pages. Some people write 40 pages. Some people do a series of novels. Some people do a series of novels. (laughs) Some people base characters on on novel characters from novels they didn't write. Not speaking from experience. But when one does collaborative story um, campaign building, then the players get more involved in creating the campaign. I did an exercise at PAX this last year where I created a campaign, not in any given setting, with a group of players. And specifically, I think I had eight players and each one of them i split them into teams of two and each team of two came up with three or four characters some characters that they might want to play some characters that they might just have as npcs whatever and they came up these characters like this character is a wandering samurai um sort of knight who followed this cause and is no longer following that cause because his great body of uh of knights has fallen into ruin and he's the last one left. And then another group would come up with, well, there's this, you know, young farm boy who wants to leave and become a knight. Um, and, uh, he's heard stories of knights and he wants that for himself. And then another group would come up with, well, there's this, um, this woman who is uh, researching dark and ancient magics, and uh, she's not evil, but she's sort of heading that direction. And then one person says, well, there's this great um, automaton war machine weapon from a bygone age that has been excavated in this city, and uh, now there's a fight over it. So these are four characters that you, in your campaign, you you might go, oh, well, one of those concepts sounds fun. I might play that. But I had the groups come back together, and then we went around and we talked about all the characters. This is the first the first place where you break from a normal D&D game. Normal, at a normal table, you might sit down and talk about your character and say, yeah, this is who I've determined that I'm going to play. But at this, each group would talk about the three or four characters that they created, And then we would then have 15 or 16 characters um, or more from the entire group, and we would start building connections between them rather than trying to assign them to individual people. So the knight, for instance, might be the would-be master of this young boy who's leaving the town where the knight has retired, right? Or the lady who is researching the dark magics might have been the one who found the automaton buried from a long past age and is now seeking to use it to advance her own ends. And maybe the knight, um, the knight group and the automaton um, were at odds in this previous era where the, the group that was controlling the war machines um, was what, trampled down the knights okay so instantly you have all these connections between all these characters and you just expand it to more and more characters and as you go along you're like well i need locations for these things i need to have a village where they come from i need to have a city where the uh, automaton was dug up i need to know how far apart those are if they're going to come together 
And what happens, what happened as we went, went through it, is that we built an entire campaign world, the kind of the broad strokes of it, centered around these characters. And then, and only then, at the end of this process, um, when the players had, had offered their insights and given suggestions about how the characters might be aligned, only then did the players pick which character they might want to play. And any characters that weren't claimed became NPCs for the campaign. Pivotal, important NPCs. So my job as a DM running this session was pretty much done at that point. I had the whole core of the campaign from an hour conversation with the players, and it was all extremely player-motivated and created equal parts by them and by me. So that's what I mean when I say collaborative campaigns. Okay. Sure. Campaigns that are driven by the players as much as by the DM. Mm -hmm. And the players can offer ideas and thoughts just like the DM can. Right on. I actually did something, um, a a different approach with the same theory or concepts in mind, um, or at least same philosophy. Um, I started a campaign that was a while ago, and it didn't go very long for various reasons. But uh, before we... When we first started playing, we our first session was actually world building and character building at the same time. So, you know, um, we would have round one, everybody roll up their stats. And then at the end of, of that stage of character creation, it would then be, okay, now everybody say something, you know, about the world. You know, describe a person, describe an organization, a place, an event, you know, tell us something about the world. And so everybody had a, had a round of, of doing that, and I sat there and took notes. Uh, and then, okay, now, uh, you know, choose your, your race. Okay, everybody chooses their race. And then another round. And we just kept doing this over and over again until the characters were completely made. And then the world, you know, at the end was done as well. The world was sort of created and fleshed out and detailed by, with all these things and these plots and these stories and these characters that, that we had all sort of collaboratively come up with together. Exactly. So that's how one creates a collaborative campaign environment where the players and the DM all contribute to tell the story rather than the DM telling the story and the players just navigating their way through it. Mm -hmm. Now, this may work for brand new campaigns where you're just sitting down and, and you have a blank canvas or you might have some things written down or you might have a campaign setting like you're playing a Forgotten Realms game but you want the, the players to introduce characters for you. What happens when you want to add some of these concepts to an existing campaign? That's where you run into it. And the way that I like to do that is that I keep an open dialogue with my players and I'm constantly asking them, how did your, how would your character have reacted to what's going on? Is your character upset by this last um, adventure? Did you find something interesting? Um, what does your character feel like the party should do next? And then I start introducing story hooks to kind of appeal to those things. When I get a sense of what a, what a player is going to be interested in, then I put in the hook for it. And that's kind of DM 101. But when you take it to the next step, um, you ask the player to create um, NPCs that they interact with, create an adventure for them to go on. And you can fill in the, um, the details, but they're the ones that give you the general idea. Right. 
I think that, and I think that works really well. And, and, and that's part of the fun of this kind of collaborative campaign building, right? Is that they, they've all suggested, the players have suggested all these things. They, they've created all these things, these characters, these ideas, these, these whatever. Um, and then part of the fun for them, in my experience, is then seeing what you as a DM do with it. You know, how is he going to work this in or how is that going to show up? Or, oh, I, I recognize this. I didn't expect it to be this way or whatever, you know. Absolutely. And that's part of the fun. Absolutely. Um, I'm one of those players who likes to write very detailed character backstories, but I, I try to leave as much flexibility for a DM to take it in whatever different direction he or she might want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm playing in a game right now where my character had a very emotionally powerful backstory, but it wasn't super detailed. And there were, it, there were vast spans of time. There was like a thing happened, and then 30 years later, that's when the game goes. That's when the game starts. So whatever was going on in all that time, I don't really know. Like my character was a pirate, did piratey things. The DM can feel free to add in things. Sure. But at times, the DM has come to me and said, okay, so um, what sort of things would your character have been doing? And I said, well, um, she raided this uh, sort of... Um, group of people she made enemies or um, she has a particular rival in such and such a group and it might have some uh, some uh, prerequisite like uh, okay Eric so uh, I need to connect your character somehow to Gith Yankee and I say well uh, it was a Gith Yankee pirate ship that they crossed paths and it didn't work out so well um, and now they uh they each want vengeance on the other. Mostly the other pirate wants vengeance on me. And he's like, done. Okay, we can work with this. And so next time we meet with the Gith Yankee, um, my pirate rival is riding a red dragon, and we have to go to the capital city to steal some ancient artifact, which is going to be complicated by the fact that we're bitter enemies. Mm. So um, it doesn't always work out the way you expect it to, but that's just as much fun as giving the idea in the first place. Yeah, and going along the same lines, I found one of the things that I've done when I've um, put, put together character backgrounds that works really well, and, and I've used as a DM as well on both sides of the situation, is that um, when I create character backgrounds or when I help other, when I help players create character backgrounds, I encourage loose ends. You know, um, yeah. you know, you had this this rival in your past. But don't tell me how you defeated that rival. Just tell me how you ended up with this rivalry. Maybe, and, and that rival is still out there somewhere. And maybe they're over it, and it's over with, and it's done, and the conflict has been had. But maybe it's not, and the DM's going to pull that in and make that part of the story. You know? uh, but so, so leave lots of loose ends and lots of threads that could turn into story and, and may not. But, but don't necessarily just leave like the one big loose end that, that you know, this is the story hook that I want the DM to use. Give five or six because, like we mentioned before, the discovery of how the DM may or may not use this is part of the fun, you know. Absolutely. And, and so give five or six good, good, meaty sort of loose ends that the DM can could use or not use as as fits into their story. Exactly. Good. So, and that sort of leads me to that that concept of the DM and their story, right? Leads me to the idea of. Uh, As you're doing a collaborative campaign and building a collaborative campaign, um, let's talk a little bit about the sandbox versus the linear story. 
mm-hmm. and how that could fit in and and you know is is it is one better than the other in this kind of campaign or or what have you well let's do brief definitions real okay. fast because not everyone knows those terms a linear story is um mario brothers point a point b point c that's where it goes. I mean, the screen is literally scrolling behind you. You cannot go back. You cannot go to the side. You can only go forward. Well, arguably in an RPG, you can very seldom go back anyway. I mean, time it's true. Time continuously moves forward. Once you've done it, you can't undo it. Well, I guess it depends what <laughs> sort of game you're playing in. That's true. <laughs> but the point is, it's all set out for you. And you just kind of go along. You're in the dungeon. You have to get through it. Um... The king is being attacked. You have to solve the king being attacked. Oh, the king survived. Yay, the end. Um, that's a linear story. Mm-hmm. Um, a sandbox story might be a linear story, but might not be a linear story. What a sandbox story is, is the DM says, all right, here's this world. Things are going on in it. What do you guys want to do? Rather than you guys are going to want to head to this dungeon you guys are going to want to save the king in this kingdom etc so those might be linear elements like they might go to the dungeon and then you're in the dungeon you have to get out or they might go to save the king you have to save the king but um the fact that they're doing it is their own decision right um often the the hazard in running a sandbox game is that regularly the PCs will totally surprise you. You you have no reason to expect that they're going to do what they end up doing. You're like, okay, so here's a dungeon. Uh, here's this kingdom, which is in peril. Um, and what do you guys want to do? And they'll say, we want to trade and explore the Silk Road to the east. And you're like, there's a Silk Road to the east? Uh oh, <laughs> and often you'll be sitting at the table, and they'll totally, totally surprise you like this, and then you'll have to improvise something, which is its own fun challenge in and of itself. Um, it kind of speaks to your own style of DMing. I myself am a very improvisational DM, and I can just kind of roll with whatever my players want to do mm-hmm. within reason. I do have my limits. I'm not perfect. <laughs> But um, some DMs are really, really bad about that. They they just, you know, they get set on a particular concept, and then when the PCs um, try it, try to resolve it in a different way or head a different direction, they get all spun out of shape and don't know what to do. Sure. So some techniques that are very helpful for maintaining a sandbox kind of game would be to have that open dialogue with the players. Ask them at the end of every session, what do you guys want to do next time? And then plan on that happening. Right. Yeah, and, and I think – and I feel like um, – first of all, I feel like linear gets a bad rap sometimes. There, there's – there are good – a good DM can, can put together a really good linear story. Uh, and a good DM can put that's good at sandbox can put together a really good sandbox story. And I don't think neither one is necessarily better than the other. Um, but I feel like there are advantages and disadvantages to each. And I also feel it's like, absolutely true. And I also feel like there, there's a good in between. 
I almost want to I almost want to create a third category that's sort of a, a web design sort of um, story, you know? Um, one of the things I've been working on more and more is, is okay, I'm not going to go completely linear, but I'm not going to go completely sandbox. You know, I'm going to lay out three major plots. And I, and I have a vague idea of what's going to happen on those three major plots. And they can, make, they can make very real and meaningful choices about those three plots. And then once they've made a decision, it leads them for, for, for wherever, whatever's going to happen for a while. And then at some point, there's three more major plots, you know, or three ma- more major branches of where the story can go from there. And you just sort of keep building it. It's, it's you know, there's linear elements to it, but it's not, com- it's not completely sandbox. You know, I kind of have an idea of what, what they're going to do because I've only laid out three major things going on, um, you know. Well, video games provide a great source of inspiration in this regard. If you play, if you or your readers have played Dragon Age, for instance, Dragon Age, there's so many options, Mm -hmm. but it's fundamentally a linear story. You are some, someone, you, um, go to this camp, which gets defeated by, you know, the bad guys, and then you are out on your own and you have to gather allies to eventually, um, fight back against the hordes of darkness and save the world. Basically, that's how it goes. It's a it's a very linear story. How exactly that happens is right. that's the source of all of the individual choices and the variation that you can have. Mm-hmm. What you have in this game, um, you have basically, like you were saying, the three major plots. You have the beginning, then you have the gather allies, which in itself is broken up into three basically three big missions um go to the dwarves go to the elves figure out the human thing okay and then there's the end game which is now that you have established all that now here you are in this kind of linear end and exactly the choices that happen um might be a little different from time to time depending on what you've done but it still flows in the same general way regardless of how many times you play the game mm-hmm. And that's that I think is one of those examples of a happy medium where you get that sandbox feel, but you still have the direction that a linear campaign will provide for you. So in in our collaborative campaign concept, is is there an intersection between sandbox and linear and, and collaborative campaign building? Absolutely. Um, the players the the concept is the players aren't going to build adventures for you i mean they might but then that would be boring for them because then they would know exactly what to do mm-hmm. what they're going to give you is the the ideas to spin off of and uh then you can then build your adventures which could be as linear or as um sandboxy as you want based on concepts that they have um that they have uh, put forth and um, yeah. So, so that's pretty much how that would work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I mean, basically, basically what's happening then is, <laughs> is in the collaborative campaign building process. Um, they are giving you as DM or, or whoever the DM, they're giving the D or you as the player are giving the DM seeds and ideas so that when it comes time to describe the world and what's going on, uh, you know, in a sandbox sort of s- situation, 
Um, you've, you've already given them that, right? And that happened in the collaborative process. Oh, well, you already know. There's this plot going on with these knights. There's this plot going on with this, atom- this war machine automaton thing, right? Um, those plots are already sort of laid out for you. The DM just has to then give you specifics to tell you, you know, where can you go to do something about it or, or you know, f- learn more or whatever it is that you need to do. Exactly right. And I think that one of the uh, one of the challenges of a sandbox game is that your your players have to be so interested in the world. They want to go out and do their own things. Um, if you want to have proactive players, they need to feel like they can accomplish things and that accomplishing things is worthwhile. So um, when they have helped create the world and they've helped create some of these main characters that are going through a lot of that's already built into it at you know these characters occurred out of their minds and they chose which of the characters was most appealing to them to actually play as a pc so they're just more invested in the world than if you just opened up um an off-the-shelf campaign setting and said, oh, we're going to play in uh, Eberron today. And people might say, oh, well, um, I don't know what Eberron is. And you might have a couple of people who are like, oh, that's very awesome. I like Eberron. But in this um, concept, when everyone has helped build the world in the first place from the very foundations, everyone is going to say, oh, yes, this is my world. I know the things I want to do. And you've built it up with them having the potential to go out and customize it to become what they want. So I think that you just, players are much more invested in a setting that they are taking an active role in developing. Mm-hmm. Now you actually, in, in, in that you, you gave me two, you hit on two of the other things I kind of want to talk about. Absolutely. Um, what do you do at the, let's start with the, the players and, and what do you do with the players who don't want to engage? You know, um, either they, they're they're not so sure about this, you know, this hippy dippy collaborative sort of uh, campaign <laughs> concept. Just you know, give me a, a stupid dungeon, and I'll go down and kill stuff. You know, quit, quit trying to make me do the DM's job, that kind of thing. Uh, or maybe the ones who just you know they're not the the super creative person, or at least maybe not that night, and they don't have a lot to contribute, and then they don't have that t- that automatic engagement and tie in. Well. I've found, in my own experience, it's quite rare that you'll come across a player who, when approached in a in a scheme like this, will not become at least partially interested in the setting. But if you have a player who's just there to hack and slash and kill things, that's fine, and that play style is totally, totally acceptable. Um, in this system probably what would happen is that that player would throw out a few characters, you know, just kind of like broad strokes of characters. And then the rest of the players would end up discussing and developing them while that player kind of sat there and thought about it and, um, and looked into ways to, um, um, like what about it made them interested? Like which player, which characters seemed interesting to them? Uh, which NPCs they'd want to go throttle? Um, I find that that hack and slash players are often motivated by what sort of monsters are there. 
um, if your campaign building exercises including, well, um, how much magic is in the world or what sort of monsters are in the world or what's the technological level of the world, Hackett Slash players will often be interested in that sort of thing because they'll have a very, um, a very codified sense of what their fantasy should be. I want to have a sword and I want to go hack up goblins or I want to have a jetpack and a laser rifle um, and I want to shoot aliens. Um, so I find that, that there, are, there are techniques that go into this um, system of campaign building that can be very effective in appealing to even players that don't don't usually want to engage in the whole narrative development process. And and, and to answer a little bit of my own question as well, um, mm-hmm. one of the things I've found that works decently well, you know, you've got the person, you're going around the table, you're all creating ideas for the, the setting or characters or plots or whatever, uh, and you've got the one person who's just not really into it, they're not feeding a lot of creativity, you know, it's, oh, well, um, there's gnomes over there, you know, and that's sort of the extent of the creativity they add into the world. Uh, I find that that sometimes if I take the things that they that they threw out there and then make them a major story element in a surprising way, that that'll sometimes bring them around. Right? They've never done something like this. That they're not quite sure what's going on or, or or what it means or where it's going. You know, but make their choices important, and that sets the stage for them to say, oh. That thing, that random thing that I said that I didn't think was important because I wasn't being creative and I wasn't into it that night, really matters. The fact that there's gnomes over there just became a significant part of our, of the plot of the storyline, you know, and, and use that and make it and make it make them feel important because of it. Absolutely. And uh, um, having dealt with kind of reticent players in my own campaigns, I find that it's just kind of nice to to give them opportunities to engage rather than forcing. Um, engagement on them. Um, I really like what you're saying about um, building the the gnomes, for instance. The, the gnome was just thrown out as a random suggestion from this otherwise unengaged player. And you make them a major element. That's awesome. And um, they're probably going to... Every, every time they interact with the gnomes, they will say, hey, this was my idea. And it got crazy, but it's my idea. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to force them to interact with the gnomes and constantly go, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this that you right. threw out, look at this, because that's just going to drive the player a little bit away. <laughs> and that's that's outside the scope of what we're talking about. I mean, um, we can go on for hundreds of hours about how to interact with particular players um, who have particular gaming styles. Mm-hmm. But generally, the key is to be communicative and to respect people's boundaries and not overwhelm anyone. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, if you throw or, it in their face too or much... Or underwhelm it, people. Right. If you throw it in their face too much, it becomes a little patronizing, right? But That's right. Uh, but, and you don't want to go that far, but you also want to make what they came up with something special to see if, that, to see if that hooks them. That's the key. That's the key distinction. And and now that sort of brings up a, a third point that I never got back to my other second one, but that's okay. We'll come back. Um, clearly, this is the kind of situation where you want to pull in the ideas of the different players, and you want to pull in the storylines that tie into their characters and all that kind of stuff, right? And it's the kind of thing that we've given advice on uh, several times in the past, I'm sure. Um, you know, the idea of you know how do you make this element of the story important to this this specific player or character or what have you. Um, and, and this lends itself really well to that, you know. 
but just a, a little bit of, of your thought, is it something you need to do as often as possible? You know, should every player feel like they have their spotlight at every session? Or should it just be every player has their spotlight eventually? Because sometimes what happens is you kind of end up with two or three characters that end up being the main characters and everybody else is sort of the B-plot. Well, you want to try and strike a balance of those two. Right. Um, obviously, you don't want one or two characters to be the main characters because then you'll have one or two very engaged players and the rest of your team will be like, well, we come and play and it's kind of fun, but... Uh, these guys are the big show and that's lame. <laughs> no one, no one really wants to do, unless you are part of the big show, in which case you're probably really excited about yeah. it. Um, and also if you, if you try and, and bring in too many spotlights, like every single session, someone shines like crazy, then it's going to become a schizophrenic sort of game where, um, we have to have gnomes that show up in every session because <laughs> this guy loves gnomes. Yeah, that's that's a little bit much. And it comes off as very contrived. And no one really has as much fun. The, the trick is, and, and this is something that, that comes from just DMing a whole lot, um, the trick is to let some people sort of shine more than the others, but let everyone still have cool moments in the game everyone should feel like they're an essential part of every session and that's a really tough goal to aim for um there have been many times that i as a player have come away from sessions where i I might love my character and i love what's going on and i'm really engaged in the story my character is completely irrelevant during the session and i'm like oh this is lame (laughs) because because my dm will have said well uh, you know, that defending thing that you do, well, that's getting really, really obnoxious. And uh, these creatures have this have this technique to kind of keep you from, from doing your thing. And I'm like, you just made me not do my job at all. That's terrible. <laughs> and uh, then he'll say, you're right. And then we won't do that again. Um, but the, the point is, let someone be the star of a session. That's fine. Don't make it always the same person. Don't make it always the same couple of people. And don't always pick on the people who are most engaged. That'll be very tempting as a DM. You'll say, oh, these people really like this. And these people uh, really have great plans for their characters going forward in the game. Don't don't surrender to that. Don't let the campaign become about those people's characters because you'll lose everyone else on the other side of the table. And and if I can add advice for the players as well, uh, you know, be willing to sit back and let it be somebody else's moment sometimes. And, I, and I'm guilty of this sometimes too. Sometimes I, I'm really engaged and I want to be more engaged and I want to drive the story and I want to do all these things. And, and sometimes I, I, I feel like I, I've in the past done that and it drives other people out of the story, you know? And, and I'm not giving them their due. I'm not giving them the spotlight that they should have. And so that's something I, I try to do, do a good job of now as a player is, you know, sometimes – I'm going to sit back and watch them tell the story and see how it goes. And, and you know, when it's my turn to interact, I'll, I'll totally jump in there. But, you know, let, let other people have the spotlight sometimes too. You and me both, buddy. I've had <laughs> experiences very much like that. Mm-hmm. And, yes, it, it is important to just recognize when you're trying to butt in and butt out. Yeah. You, you should still be part of, the, uh, part of the story, but you don't need to be the main star all the time. No, absolutely. 
Now, I had one other sort of thing, and, and as you've been talking about your ideas and, and some of the examples and advice that you've given, um, it occurs to me that you're talking about building a setting and building a story and all that kind of stuff. But I sort of feel like this collaborative campaign building could be done for either or both. It could be collaborative setting building. It could also be collaborative story building, and it could be both. And to, and, and at such a way that I feel like you could pull out a, a pre-made setting and still use this process of collaborative campaign building and story building, um, you know, with some 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 good ideas and some good advice, you know? Absolutely. Um, I am planning to run a campaign sometime this year, uh, which is a epic uh, Menza Berenzan drow campaign. Okay. So this, this particular setting in the forgotten realms is heavily trafficked. You know, Bob has been there. The war of the spider queen authors have been there. Elaine's been there. Numerous source books have been there. Sometimes multiple times during a single edition. There's a lot about about this city. There's a lot that we don't know, but there's a lot that's established about it. And when the campaign starts, I plan to sit down with all my players and go through and produce characters in this way that I talked about before. Um, and some of those characters will end up being PCs, and some of those characters will end up being NPCs. And um, I will establish stories based on the characters and based on suggestions that the players give me because there's so much that can be done on that. Even, even the well-filled-in canvas of this city in the well-filled-in canvas of the Forgotten Realms. Um, and that in itself is one of the most enjoyable and also somewhat challenging parts of running the game. Mm-hmm. Um, which is part of why I enjoy the realm so much in the first place. I like filling in the gaps and playing with the themes of the setting in my own stories. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can absolutely um, create a story from a um, pre-made setting like that, or you could go the other way and create a setting um, in which you want to tell your story. So, for instance, a friend of mine is planning to run a campaign where... Um, he he came on to D&D with 4th edition, so he's very versed in this whole Dawn War, Gods versus Primordials um, mm-hmm. mythos. And he said, I want to run a game in which the Primordials are coming back to this world and the gods have to band together. You, the good gods, bad gods, chaotic gods, lawful gods, whatever. They have to band together to fight off the Primordial threat. And uh, so... The PCs will be from groups that aren't used to working with each other. And I say, okay, so what setting are you planning to use? And he's like, I don't know. Right. Um, it, might, it might be the Forgotten Realms. It, it might be a, a homebrewed setting or, or whatever. And that's one of those situations where you have an overarching story. You, you know exactly what the campaign's going to be about, but you don't know the specific setting that you're going to use. And um, you can certainly draw on your p on your players to uh come up with um come up with what the setting is going to be and, and i think it's also worth noting that that don't be afraid to change things you know if if you're doing your Minzer branzan game and somebody creates a character who is the matron mother of the first house of Minzer branzan well that runs afoul of the setting 
but that's fine. So run afoul of the setting. It's your version of men's or brands and change it if you need to or change it if that's what they're into or that's what they want to do. You know, and maybe make that a, a, a interesting story plot. How did, how did this person take over and what happened to the other person? Or maybe not. Maybe that other person just never existed. Um, in Absolutely. The, in the same way that, you know, you could do, like we talked about, you could do, I already have a campaign or a story, right? I already have an adventure. I pulled out Eyes of the Lich Queen and I want to do that, but I don't want to do it in Eberron and so we're going to create our own setting. Oh no, they they created this NPC that would kind of fit into this other thing that, that doesn't fit into that story. Fine. Change the name of that character and now it's that person that they created, you know? Uh, and that's fine too. I think I think one of my big pieces of advice, and as much as people like come down on the Forgotten Realms because there's so much already detailed and I don't know it all and I don't know how to do it, it's fine because you're going to change it and make it your own anyway. So use the elements of it that you want. Pull out the map and use the cities and whatever and research it when you want to. But if you don't want to know it and you want to make it up, then then blow it up and make it make it your own. And, and I'm a big fan of that. Ed Gradenwood would say the same thing. That... As as I see it, canon is really just a shared language. It's so that so that when you say the Forgotten Realms, people will know what you're talking about. You will say the Red Wizards of Thay. People will know what you're talking about mm-hmm. if they know about the canon of the realms. Your campaign is your own campaign, and it is assumed that things are going to match the canonical. Um, depiction in a source book unless you change them until you change them when you change them you should not be slavishly devoting yourself to a particular set of canonical expectations because that's someone else's game that's that's what works for someone else not necessarily what works for you you should feel perfectly free to take that as a first draft and run with it your own way and, and and the same thing with with you know adventures. If you're going to run an adventure, you know, feel free to change all of that too. I mean, you don't like that NPC. Oh, you know, I'm I'm running Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil right now. You know, you don't like Captain Elmo in this in the village of Hamlet. Fine, kill Captain Elmo and find somebody else. And sometimes I hate Captain Elmo because of the name. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what does he do? Laugh when you tickle him? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. He, he's red and fuzzy. I'm sure. <laughs> In any case, um, any any other uh, last bits of advice for people on collaborative campaign building? Anything we haven't talked about that you want to? I think we've hit all of my bullet points. Have fun with it. Talk with people, and and keep an open mind about ideas other than your own, um, and how you can. Um, how you can mold them to fit your own particular vision. A collaborative campaign should be pleasing everyone. The goal of an RPG is to have fun. And a collaborative campaign is a great way to do that because everyone gets to create, everyone gets to improvise and everyone gets to uh, envision the story that they want. Mm -hmm. And understand that, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't too, like anything in gaming. But but that doesn't mean you know if you if you tried it once and it didn't come together quite right that doesn't mean to give up on it it just means you've got that experience now to fall back on to do it better next time absolutely so I think uh, I'd love to hear people's people's stories anytime you've tried collaborative campaign building or successes or failures uh, leave it a, a note in the comments and and I'd love to read about that. All right. Well, I think we are approaching the end of the episode. I want to say thank you to Eric Scott Deby. Thank you, sir. Well, you're very welcome, Jeff. And I should send everybody over to ericscottdebee.com if they want to find more about you, yes? Absolutely. Any other place you want them to find you on the interwebs? 
Uh, well, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter under my name, Eric Scott DeB. Um, come check me out there. All right. And I also want to thank listeners like you guys out there. Be sure to keep using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links to, to help keep the show going and help us uh, pay our bills. If you want to get a hold of me, you can email the show at the tome at the tome show at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. That's 919-BIZ-TOME. You can see all the show notes and the links at thetomeshow.com. And that has been episode 211, where Eric Scott DeBee and I have collaborated to give you some darn good advice, if I don't say so myself. In this, He's so very humble. <laughs> in this episode of the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone, the tone. I'm on the wall.